you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the New Testament book of Luke chapter 15. I am a little embarrassed this morning. I have a confession. I have been looking forward to this uh, new message series uh, for weeks and really more than that for years as I knew the 500th anniversary of the Reformation was, uh, was coming up and uh, put everything together. And uh, I just really haven't felt this week a piece about that. In fact, I talked to Andre, ran into him at the football game, the high school football game on Friday night. And uh, the first thing I think I said to him is, I hate my message I'm preaching Sunday. I just, I'm just not happy about it at all. And so I fretted with it uh, on and off all day yesterday. Uh, and then I thought, well, I'll fix it, whatever's wrong with it, in the wee hours of the morning today. Uh, but uh, partway through that process, I just really didn't feel a piece about it. Now, we're going to do that. Uh, and I think we'll start it next week. So we, we're, we're not going to postpone it indefinitely. Uh, so next week we'll jump right into that series on the foundations of our faith. Uh, but something's not right. Something the Lord still wants me to discover, to hear, to learn so I can share with you. And so we're going to give that one more week and uh, then we'll just plunge in. So if you would like to invite your friends though, I encourage you to do this. We're going to spend uh, five weeks talking about the foundations of our faith. We're going to talk about five things uh, that historically have been identified as the tenets of orthodox, genuine, biblical Christianity. And we're going to see how we can reaffirm those in our lives and in our church. Uh, but today I want us to look at Luke chapter 15. It is a familiar story uh, in more ways than one. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, some, some Bibles may call it the parable of the lost son. Uh, it, it's, it's a story that's familiar to most people who've been in church very long at all. Uh, it's a favorite of preachers. It is a great story. But it's also familiar for another reason that's not so good. It's familiar because we all know people who, like the prodigal son, have strayed from the faith. Uh, every one of us in here can name people and, and probably name people very close to us who, who were once walking passionately with the Lord, but now they've strayed from the faith. They're not here this morning. They're not in any church this morning. They're not in any way walking with God. They have, they have strayed from the faith. But this is a familiar story, not just because we know people who have strayed from the faith, but it's familiar because some of us have strayed from the faith, right? Have there been some times in your life when your relationship with God has, uh, has been thin and has been stretched? And, 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 and for lack of a better word, have there been some times when you have strayed from the Father? And you know, if there have not, likely there will be. And so just statistically, if you look around and you see eight or 10 people around you, there will be some of those who won't be here next year, who won't be walking with the Lord next year because they will, over the next few months, if the Lord tarries, they will stray from the Father. But you know, I think it's a familiar story for another reason. I think sometimes we stray in our hearts. I think sometimes we stray from the Father on the inside while it may appear on the outside that we have remained faithful. I, I think for some of us, we can come to church week in and week out. For some of us, we can even read our Bibles and pray, but the truth is we know that we have strayed from the Father. That, that on the inside, in places where nobody can see, we've lost the passion, we've lost our first love, we have strayed from the faith. 
And so I want us to look to this story and I want us to discover this morning a few reasons why the prodigal son strayed from the faith so that we won't stray for the same reasons. These are the same reasons that people stray from, from, from the faith today. I want us to identify some reasons why he strayed from the faith. And then I want us to learn something just wonderful about God. I want us to be reminded perhaps of something just wonderful about God that I think will pull us back if we're people who have strayed. And so Luke chapter 15, let's begin in verse 11. It says, he also said, a man had two sons, the younger of them said to his father, Father, for, uh, father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. And so he distributed the assets to him. So there were two sons. Uh, the younger one is the one who rebels. And he goes to his father and he says, I want my part of the inheritance. Now, you, you've got to know that this was a pretty serious request. In fact, it was serious first because it insulted the father. He was saying, Father, I wish you were dead. <laughs> Because I want what I will get when you do die. I wish you would just die and I can get my share. Now his share would have been one third of the estate. In those days, the elder son would get two parts and, the, and each other son would get one part. So they're two sons. So the, the younger son would have gotten one third of the estate. But it would have been a very serious thing, a very complicated thing perhaps for the father to give away while he still lived one third of his estate because in those days, you didn't keep much wealth in cash. And it wasn't that he could write a check or go down to the bank. Uh, no, no the, the, the property would have been property. And so for the father to grant this, uh, this request, he would have had to sold some fields and, and he would have to sell some animals and all that's involved in that. But he does that and he gives his youngest son his share. Look at verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. And so he goes from, from bad to worse, right? That's always the, the track that we take. And so he started by being uh, disobedient and disrespectful to his father. Now he's left home and now he's involved in a lifestyle that is different than the way he had been taught and what he knew to be right. Verse 14 says, and after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. You know, famines often come at the most inopportune times. And so as soon as he runs out of money, guess what happens? A famine comes and God is just uh, squeezing him in the vice grips uh, to get his attention. Verse 15 says, then he went to work for one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Now it's interesting that Jesus said to feed pigs. Now, you know that this isn't a true story. Jesus is just making up this story in order to teach a point. That's why it's called a parable. It's not, Jesus isn't thinking about a guy he once knew. Jesus is just making up the story. So he could have had the fellow work anywhere he wanted. He could have said he worked at Sears and Roebuck. He could have said he worked out at Lowe's. He could have said, he could have said anything. Why did he say that the man went to feed pigs? Well, that would have been the lowest. That would have been the most uh, most humiliating job this person could have because uh, pigs were something that uh, Jews didn't associate with. And so the feeding of pigs, which, uh, you know, even if you're a barbecue fan, you know, you don't want to be a part of the feeding of pigs. And uh, so this would have been just a terrible job. And, and so Jesus is just pointing out how when we stray from the father, who knows where we'll end up. 
You know, oftentimes when people stray, we, we think we're so smart. We think we calculate our sin and we know how far it's going to go. And we, we draw a line and we say, I won't go any further than this. I'll never do that. Pastor, I'll never do this. I'll never let it go, go that far. But what Jesus is saying is that when you begin to stray from the father, there is no limit to how far it'll go. I wish I had a nickel as a pastor for every time some man has sat in my study through the years and said, Pastor, I never thought I would do whatever. And then they say something that, they, that, that, that they're telling the truth about. They never thought they would do it. But the point that Jesus is making is that sin, sin will never have a limit. You can't set a limit on sin. When, when this son left his father's home, he would have never dreamed that he would have been feeding pigs. But here he is. He is a pig feeder. Uh, verse 16 says he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and I am dying of hunger. I'll go up, go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. And so he's trying to come up with a deal that he can make with his father. And, and you know, we do the same thing oftentimes when we get in trouble and we know that we're in trouble because we've strayed. We begin to think about how we could make a deal with God. God, now if you'll take me back, I'll do this and I'll do this other thing and, and, and we'll work this out. But listen, God's not into making deals. You can't make a deal with God. And, and, and that's a good thing because what God offers is better than any deal than you could have imagined. And so here he is trying to come up with a deal. Dad, if you'll take me back, you know, I'll live out in the servant's quarters and, you know, I'll do the servant's work. But he's going to discover in a minute that not only could he not make a deal with the father, but what the father is going to offer him is, is beyond anything that he could have anticipated. Look at verse 20. So he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, you know this story, but try to, try to picture it. Let it unfold in your mind like you've never heard it before because this is a wonderful truth. So he's, he's headed back. He's partway home, but he's still a long ways off, you know, maybe, maybe a couple of blocks away, maybe a quarter mile away, and his, and his father spots him. It says, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with... Now, you see the next word, but, but w w what do you think would be the most likely word? Filled with anger? filled with resentment. I mean, the father certainly would have been justified. He had been disrespected. He had been robbed in a sense. His name had been drugged through the mud. He, he, the son had just had stuck the knife really in his father's heart and twisted it. His father had every reason to be angry at him, but it says, and he was filled with compassion. And he ran and he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, do you recognize this? This is the beginning of the speech that he was working out back in verses 17 and 18. This, he was going to offer the father a deal. And so he starts his speech. But look what the father says, verse 22. It says, but the father... Now, what that tells us is the father just interrupts him. Says, now listen, hush, son, I got something I want to say. So, but the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. 
put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. And so his father's not even interested in the apology as much as he is interested in issuing and extending grace and forgiveness to his son. It's an extravagant grace. He, he, he doesn't say, now listen, son, you know, I'm glad you're back, but, but we're going to have to lay down some rules before we just go on with this. He said, no, uh, bring a ring, bring the best robe, kill the fatted calf, let's throw a party. Th- this is almost irresponsible. It's so kind and so gracious, but that's just how God's grace works. Verse 24, because this, because this son of mine was dead, And he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. So I want you to see, I want us to go back through this, uh, through this parable. And I want us to see if we could figure out exactly why the son strayed. Now here's why that's important. As I said, uh, you and I are susceptible to stray. No matter how long you've been following Christ, no matter how close to Christ you may feel today, You are susceptible to straying. I'm susceptible to walking away from the Lord. We need to know what led this this son, this younger son, to stray so that we can avoid the same problem. Well, I think the son strayed because he believed four lies. Four lies. Number one, lie number one, he believed that what he needed most from his father were possessions and wealth. He, he looked at his father and, and, and he felt like that what he needed for happiness, what this young son needed to be fulfilled, to enjoy life, what he needed most were the possessions of his father. He thought if my father would just give me some money, if my father would just die and I could get my inheritance, if I could just have some more stuff, then I would be happy He thought what he needed from the father was his father's possessions. You you know, I think we often think the same thing. We we, we often think if I just had something more, I would be happy. I would be fulfilled. If I just had a different job, if I just had some more money, if I just was married, if I just wasn't married, if I I had this new house or this new car, this new set of golf clubs or this new purse or, you know, know, whatever you get excited about. Oftentimes we think if we just had something that it's that thing or it's that position or it's that status that then we would be happy. So the prodigal felt like if he had his father's stuff, he would be happy. And and we often think if we just had our father's stuff, if God would just answer my prayers. In fact, you often see this creeping into our lives by looking at our prayers. I mean, if, if all your prayers are, God, give me some more money. God, give me the new job. God, open this door. God, God, provide this thing. If all of our prayers are about God giving us stuff, then we're doing the same thing the prodigal was doing. We're saying that what we really need are the possessions of the father, the possessions of the father. Well, we can also see this in what gives us frustration and stress. What are the things that just frustrate you? Well, those things will tell you what's most important in your life because you'll be frustrated by the things that keep you from having what you think you need. And so, so many times what we, what we do is we believe the lie that the prodigal believed that if I just had the father's possessions, 
then I would be happy. What, what, did, the, what did the son discover though? Once he gets his father's possessions and he goes off and, and uh, things begin to come, come unraveled and he hits rock bottom, what, what, what does he learn? He learns that he doesn't need the father's possessions. He just needs the father, right? I mean, in the end, he, he recognizes that, that happiness, joy, fulfillment, peace, love, that, that it, wasn't, it wasn't connected to the father's possessions, it was just connected to the Father. And so that ought to influence how we pray. That ought to influence our ambitions. It ought to influence what we hope for. Because, because we need to be people who understand that, that the satisfaction that we seek doesn't come in the Father's possessions. It comes in being close to the Father. Close to the Father. You know, when this, um, and I'll talk more about this in a moment, but when the, when the son was... Um, working this job and he was hungry and he was humiliated. Uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't just need another job. He, he didn't just need somebody to give him a, a, a hot meal. See, he understood at that point when he came to his senses, the Bible said, he understood that what he really needed was his father. So there was another lie though I think he believed that caused him to stray. He believed the lie that freedom from his father's limitations would bring happiness. You know, his father had rules, right? When he lived with his father, he had to, he had to get up in the morning and go to work. He had to uh, live a certain way. His father certainly would have had rules for the household. And so he thought, if I could just get out of this household, if I could just get away from my father's rules and limitations, then I would be happy. And, and I, I think this is the beginning of how so many people stray. Now, I want you to listen closely to this because, you know, the Bible says that as a pastor, I have to give an account for you. And so I want to be able to tell the Lord, I told you this, okay? When you begin to think that if you could just have freedom from his rules, from God's rules, from your father's rules, that you would find peace. I'm telling you, it is, it is that desire to be free from the father's rules that often leads to your downfall. It, that, that often leads to destruction. It's, it's this idea that if I could just, if I just didn't have all these rules, if, if I could just get, get past what, what God says I can't do or I shouldn't do, then I will have peace. That's the beginning. That, that for, the, for the prodigal son was, was the beginning. I remember years ago I had, um, when I was, before Don and I were married uh, and I, we were dating and I took her home one night. She lived with her, uh, her parents at the time. And, and I lived about, I don't know, 20 minutes away, 15 or 20 minutes away. And so I carried her home late one night and then I was headed back to my house and it was, uh, it was late at night. So there weren't a lot of cars on the road and it was a rural area. And uh, there was a place where there were fields on the sides, both sides of the road. And there were horses in the fields and I'd seen them a hundred times. Uh, but this night, a horse had escaped the fence. Now, I don't know a lot about horses, and so I certainly don't pretend to be in the mind of the horse, but I wondered if the horse for years had stood at that fence and looked out at the freedom of the road and thought, you know, if I could ever get on the other side of this fence, if I could just, if I could ever get outside the fence that my owner has put me in, I mean, look at the freedom that's on that road. That's what I imagine horses think of. I don't know. Well, this night I was going through and 
and my lights hit something and I, I, I thought, well, what is that? And I slowed down and one of those horses had gotten out of the fence and he was right in the middle of the road. And he was facing me and I was facing him. I was surprised he was even more surprised. And we just looked at each other for a minute, you know, and those big eyes and my bright lights in his eyes. And, um, you know, like I said, I don't know a lot about horses, but I think the horse was scared to death. And so I didn't know what to do. So I'm, I'm inching forward a little bit thinking the horse is going to get out of the way. And so the horse finally, before I get too close to it, uh, the horse turns around and instead of walking off the road, he walks down the road. And, um, so I, I don't know what to do. He's walking. I'm following him. And I'm not, I'm not real close. But was, the horse was in no, no danger. But um, the horse kept looking back over his shoulder. And he could see I'm right behind him. And so the horse goes a little faster. And I go a little faster. <laughs> and the horse goes and he, he keeps looking over. You know, so, so my best horse psychology, <laughs> I think the horse was scared to death. I think the horse would have given his left horseshoe <laughs> if he could have somehow gotten back in the fence, right? And eventually you know, he got off on the side of the road in a fence and then I passed him by and he's probably telling this story today to his horse friends. <laughs> but listen, that horse thought that freedom came from being outside the fence, but when he got outside the fence, I, I, I think that horse was convinced that uh, real happiness, joy, peace, and satisfaction we're back in the fence and the prodigal son experienced the same thing. He wanted out from under his father's limitations until he got there. And then he recognized that that was not the key to happiness. I remember when my kids were, were young and we were swimming somewhere, I don't remember where we were, but they had to wear life jackets and they, they loved to swim. This was before they really knew how to swim or uh, maybe we were on a big body of water. I don't remember the details, but, we, but they had to wear the life jackets. Now, they were having fun, but they wanted desperately to take off the life jackets. They complained and complained and complained. Please let us take off these life jackets. But what they didn't understand is it was the very life jacket that was making it possible that they could be in that water and swim. Now, it is the very limitations of God in his word that make it possible for you to have joy in marriage. It's the, it's the very rules of God that make it, that make it possible that, that we can have uh, peace and joy and satisfaction. It, but, but, but the prodigal son believed the lie that if he could get free from his father's limitations, then he would have happiness. And, and I think we, we believe the same lie from time to time and we struggle to get free and that's the beginning of our, our becoming a prodigal uh, son. Well, lie number three is this. The pleasure of sin would last forever. Uh, he, he thought if he could get free, I mean, sin would be so much fun. And sin was fun. I'm sure the Bible talks about the pleasures of sin. But it says the pleasures of sin just last a season. And so he got away and he quickly discovered that you can't live off the pleasures of sin. I mean, maybe life was fun for a week or a month or a year. I don't know how long he was gone. Uh, but, but he eventually learned that the pleasures of sin will not sustain you because the pleasures of sin are, are, are fleeting. You know, every sin we commit, big or small, every sin has consequences. Did you know that? Now, sometimes the consequences are delayed, which means they don't happen immediately. And so we, we will fool ourselves into believing there are no consequences, but, but every sin has consequences. Every, the, the consequences sometimes are disguised, 
That, that means it's, it's sometimes hard to see them coming. Sometimes the consequences are deceptive, meaning that they can be much worse than we anticipated. But every sin has consequences. And I, I believe the prodigal son just simply believed the lie that the pleasure of sin would last forever. And that led him to stray. Well, number four, he believed that he could fix his life without his father's help. He believed that, uh, that, that if his life was broken, that he could fix it and he could do so without his father's help. Now, I think this is Satan's greatest lie. See, the, 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 the prodigal son, he, when he ran out of money, he recognized that there was a problem. Now, he, right then, God had gotten his attention. He was out of money. He was hungry. There was a problem. Now, he could have returned to God at that moment. I mean, the story wouldn't have been near as good, but he could have returned to God right then. But what did he do instead? He said, I know I've got a problem. Now, please listen to this, because this is exactly where a lot of people are. He said, I know I've got a problem. I mean, he admitted he had a problem, right? He was hungry. He says, I know I've got a problem. So I'm going to fix it myself. Now that's, that's the deadly lie. If you've got a problem, if, if you have strayed from the father, if there's sin that has taken root in your life, you can't fix it. See, see the, the prodigal son thought he'd fix it. So what did he do? He went and got a job. And he thought, well, you know, I'll get a job. I will fix it myself. But, but the truth is, you can't fix your problems. You can't fix your sin without the Father's help. You know, this, uh, this prodigal son, he, he didn't need assistance, improvement, tweaking, straightening, tightening, modification. He didn't need a better job. He didn't need somebody to give him a hot meal. What he needed was to go back to the Father. You know, too many times... And I, I regret that sometimes preachers like me, if we're not careful, if I'm not careful when I preach, I will lead people to make this terrible mistake. Too many times we come to church, we, we get quiet for a few minutes, and so we, we hear from the Holy Spirit, and, our, and, and it's as if God's taken a highlighter and he's highlighted our sins. And so what do we do? We say, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to be different. Some of you are thinking that right now. Oh, this is a, this is a good reminder. Somebody will come up and, and tell me at the end of the service, oh, the pastor, the Lord spoke to me and I recognize I've strayed. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to do better. Well, see, that's what the prodigal son did. He said, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to do better. But that's not what needs to be the first step. Maybe you need a new job. I mean, maybe you, maybe you do need to make some changes. Certainly you do need to make changes. We all need to make changes, but but the lie that the, that the prodigal son believed is that he could fix his life without his father's help, and that's just not true. And we need to remember this when we're, when we're ministering to people, when we're giving people a, a, a job, when we're helping people find food. Uh, we certainly should do that. The Bible commands us to help people. But let's remember that what they need most is not a new job or a or a some, some hand-me-down clothes or, or a hot meal. They may need those things, but what they need most is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What they need most is to know how they can have their sins forgiven and, and be indwelled with the Holy Spirit and, and that their lives can be turned around because of the work of God in their lives. That's what they need most. And for you and I, what do we need most? 
Let me tell you what you don't need most. You don't need to sit down at the, when you get home and write out a seven-step plan to fix your life. Now, that's what people do. We're in this self-help world, and uh, we, we applaud people like the, uh, the, the prodigal son. He got in a bind. He said, what am I going to do? Well, he, he, he sat down. Well, number one, I'm going to get a job. Number and, and so he wrote this out. No, it, it, it doesn't need to start with that. It starts with coming back to the Father. He believed the lie that he could fix his life without his father's help. Now, that's how the prodigal son got messed up. He believed those four lies. But now, let me tell you something about the attitude of the father. Because this is, this is such a key part of this. Because I don't want you just to realize how you get messed up. I want us to know how we can come back to the father. So let me tell you three things quickly about the father. Number one, the father never stopped loving him. We see that. The father was waiting on him. The father never stopped loving him. God's love has no limits. There is nothing that you have done that makes God love you less than he does. God loves you no matter where you've been or what you've done. The second thing we see about the father here is the father never stopped looking for him. Uh, God is waiting for your return today. If you have strayed, and maybe nobody in here knows but you and the Lord, I'm telling you, God's on the front porch of heaven and he is waiting for you to return. And that brings us to the third thing. The father never stopped longing, longing for him. Uh, you know, God doesn't just wait for us out of obligation. He longs for us. When I have sin in my life, let me just be transparent with you, can I? When I have sin in my life, I... I just feel like I can't go back to God. I, I'm reluctant to pray. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to come to church. When I have sin in my life, I just feel like the, the most appropriate thing is to hide in shame. You know, to sort of punish myself for a while. And then, you know, then maybe after a long enough period has gone by since, since my, I've, I've sinned, that then I can go back to God. But that's a, that's a complete wrong way to look, look at it. When you've sinned and you have this, this desire to go and reconcile with the Father, know this, the Father's desire to reconcile with you is even greater than your desire to reconcile with him. God longs for you to come back. And so when this son was coming back, he discovered that his father was waiting for him and looking for him. And his father had a plan for when he came back and his father wanted to show him grace and mercy. And God longs for you to come back. Now you might say, well, pastor, you don't, you don't understand. I'm, I'm like prodigal son version uh, or episode 24. You know, I have, um, I have sinned and I've gone back to the father and he has forgiven me and given me mercy. But then I sinned again. And then I came back again. And I sinned again and back again and back and forth and back and forth. And pastor, now God's just tired of me. But listen, nobody moving around. Listen, God's not tired of you coming back. And you may have done it 150 times this year. God's not tired of you coming back. He's still on the porch. He's still squinting and looking and waiting for you to come back. That's his grace and his mercy. I, uh, I want to tell you a story. And uh, because I put this message together this morning, I, I didn't have time to look up the details. But uh, 
I want to tell you as much of it as I can remember. I, I put together some notes this morning. True story. A story of, uh, of another prodigal. It was about a young girl who grew up on a cherry orchard just outside of Traverse City, Michigan. And she was a farmer's daughter. She was the cherry of her father's eye, so to speak. But as she grew older, she got in her teen years, she began to rebel against her parents and she made their lives a living hell. So finally, she inflicted the worst pain that a child could inflict on his or her parents when she, at 16 years old, ran away from home. She made her way to Detroit, which is not a very safe city. Her second day there, she met a man with a big smile and a fancy car who offered to help her find somewhere to stay. It was just a few weeks later that she ended up a prostitute and addicted to drugs. One day in that lifestyle, she was eating breakfast in this man's house and she noticed her picture on a milk carton. And she said later that she knew then that her parents must be miserable wondering where she was, what she was doing. But she said she didn't care. Life was good. She had a lot of money, a lot of freedom. She liked her life. But one day later, she began to show signs of being sick. Her skin turned yellow. Her eyes began to droop. And so her pimp kicked her out, put her on the street, nowhere to go. She lived on the streets of Detroit for one whole year. She slept on metal grates outside of department stores, fighting off all kinds of evil every night. So one night, lying alone on a sidewalk against a building, she began to think of home. And so she turned a trick to get enough money to make a phone call and to buy a bus ticket. And with great fear and trembling, she called her parents. They didn't answer. So she left a message saying, I don't know if you want to see me or not, but the bus stops in Traverse City tonight at midnight. And so she hung up, she got on the bus. It was a six hour ride. She said she rehearsed the deal that she wanted to make with her parents all the way back. All the promises she was going to make that she would never do this and she would never do this and she'd pay back that and she'd fix this other thing. Said she cried most of the way as she tried to put together her thoughts to somehow plead forgiveness from her parents. She decided that if they didn't show up at the bus station that she understood because she didn't deserve another chance. She would just get back on the bus and just go to wherever it was going. So when the bus arrived, a Traverse City is a small city. Midnight, there's not a lot of people in the bus station. But when the bus pulled up, there were 40 of her closest friends and relatives. They had party hats 
and streamers. And they welcomed her like she had just won a gold medal. Her dad ran up to her and she started her speech. She began to make her deal, but he stopped her. And he said, listen, we don't have time for that because your mom is at home and she has prepared a banquet and everybody's waiting for your arrival. Now, when I think of a story like that, you know, it breaks my heart for a lot of reasons. But you know, honestly, I think that's just too extravagant. I, I don't know if you've done much counseling, but I've, I've talked to some of these parents. Pastor, what should we do when they come back? And I don't know what you would say. Well, you need to lay down the law. You need to have some rules. They need to pay some restitution. You, you, you need to hold them at a distance until they prove that they're serious. And I'm afraid I've said all of those things to parents. And while life situations can be complicated, when it comes to God, it's not. And God's love and forgiveness is just this extravagant. It's just this unreasonable. It's just this irrational. It is, it is the forgiveness and the mercy that makes God's famous. In Isaiah chapter one, verse 18, God says through the prophet, come, let us settle this. Though your sins are scarlet, that means they're pretty bad. They will be as white as snow. Though they are crimson, they will be like wool. So I'm talking to a lot of people this morning. Room full, we'll have another room full at 11.15. People watching on television, people are watching on the internet. And listen, I know this. I'm talking to a lot of prodigals. I'm probably talking to some prodigals who have strayed and everybody knows they've strayed. But I'm also talking to prodigals and you're the only one that knows you're a prodigal. And I'm bringing a message from the Father. He is waiting for you to return. He is longing for you to come back. Just so your head bowed and eyes closed for a moment. Now I know we're not a real come down forward kind of church and that's okay. But here's what I wanna ask you to do. I, two challenges. In just a moment when we begin to sing, if there is a prodigal in your life, son or a daughter, grandchild, parent, brother, sister, friend, relative, if there's a prodigal in your life, someone who has strayed from the Lord, I wanna ask you to work your way out of your seat and just find a place here at the front on the side somewhere and just kneel and pray for a moment or stand. There may not be room for people to kneel, but stand and just pray that that prodigal will hear from the Lord. Perhaps through you, but that prodigal will hear that the Lord longs for his or her return. And so if that's you, if you have a prodigal in your life, I'm gonna ask you to come. Just for a moment or two, you can go back to your seat.
But now listen, I know there are prodigals here. And maybe your sin would be measured by the world as big or maybe it would be small. Maybe it would be scandalous or maybe the world would shrug it off. But you know that you have strayed from the Father. The Father waits for you to return. And here's what I want you with just your holy imagination. I want you to picture. I want you to picture the father in this parable standing on the porch looking for his son. And soon as he saw his son on that dusty road taking a few steps his direction, the father ran to meet him. I'm going to ask you to take a few steps this morning if you're a prodigal. I mean, you don't have to share with anybody. Nobody's going to know if you're praying for you or somebody else. But I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are and just take a few steps toward God. Come here and stand at the front and pray. And I promise you that my God, that your God, when he sees you begin to come, will run and embrace you. And there will be a party in heaven today because you have returned home. Father in heaven, thank you for taking me back more times than I can count. I wonder sometimes if you'll ever get tired of me, but I know you will not. And so I come back again today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. And even as we stand, I invite you to come.